Dude, the Celtics almost uh, won the first round, and then they didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't watch the game, but I was on Twitter afterwards, and all the Celtics people I follow were just complaining about how bad everyone was, how awful the game was, how bad the coaches were. <laughs> it was just a stream yeah. of just all the Boston people. Just da 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 It's like, uh. <laughs> they They were up by 10 with like a minute left or something like that. It was crazy. And then Trey Young just said dagger. Did you see the replay of his like, 25 foot three-pointer with like six seconds left maybe i mean i you know when i scroll through like nba twitter there's always those you know, little gifts yeah. of trey young uh, yeah. yeah so i'm Dude. sure <laughs> crazy i mean they're still up three two so it should be all right but um yeah it's fun yeah i think i think the people the kind of analytical basketball people i follow were saying that this is really good for the sixers because it's going to wear the celtics out Ah, uh, yeah. Good long uh, series. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Get more rest and yeah. Hate the Sixers, man. Hate the Sixers. How you doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. What you working on? Uh, I am working on emails. Oh, uh, yeah. Always, always a fun, um, fun thing to be working on. No, it's, it's actually been, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been incredibly enjoyable, actually. Uh, there's, um, learning and tinkering and uh being able to ship stuff so uh yeah it's i can kind of talk through exactly what i've been working on um yeah you want me to do that let's do it cool so uh when you sign up for for a uh when you buy a lifetime membership to build you <laughs> there are no more there are no, no subscriptions yeah. obi-wan gift <laughs> When you sign up for a lifetime membership, we kind of take you through this process where like we seed you in our database, send you off to Stripe, you pay on Stripe, Stripe fires a webhook, you come back to our website and we ask you to like set up your account. And kind of one of the things that has happened is people will pay on Stripe, so their credit card will be charged. They'll come back to our website and then they, for whatever reason, they won't set up an account. Um, there's been just... Uh, few examples of this i was buying it for someone else so i wasn't going to set up the account i was going to send it to them send them this link and have them set up the account the other is like um yeah i was on my phone and like this the web view crashed and i just right, figured I the I'd, link in twitter and i opened it on a web view within the twitter app yeah and it just like it crashed after i clicked the buy button on stripe but then i wasn't even sure if my credit card went through you know other people just yeah i didn't want to just set up my account now i just wanted to wait till i got on my computer so um yep. tons of valid reasons so uh we're we're sending an email that's like okay you know if you haven't set up your account here's the link that gets you back into the onboarding flow of, of setting up the account um so definitely nice. something that the product needs not something uh always love shipping without these features because uh you can't really predict them until you see how people use it and you talk to users so dude um, absolutely so, okay, so uh, for this, um, for sending this email, we are, I'm using this, um, this language called M MJML, which is, you can kind of think of it as like uh, a markup language that looks like HTML uh, that you compile into actual HTML that is safe for email clients. So email clients, email HTML is a very restrictive uh, subset of HTML. It's almost like, uh, it reminds me of like the HTML that I used to write, uh, in like 2005, like <laughs> it's like tables for layout. Um, 
just yeah tons of uh like ie check like they're not like ie checks but like you used to I used to do all these things where you would do like a comment that would change the behavior in ie you kind of have to do the same thing with uh outlook clients so it's it's very like it's like old html is how it it's fun it's like the funnest coding environment ever <laughs> yeah it's yeah the most hostile coding environment ever <laughs> uh so these frameworks like uh mjml exist to basically give you a tag that looks like a that's called a button that looks like a button but it takes care of all that stuff underneath such as using a table to center it and making sure that like the when you do a border radius is you I think border radius works fine but um yeah just taking care of all the the markup if you look at you know an mjml button and you look at the output there's you know probably if I had to guess I'd say eight or nine additional html tags that are needed to create a button where it's a web developer like wait you only need one tag to create a button so right uh so um MJML is, is this is the first time I've used it. I've used like other things like Zurb Foundation had like an email thing that's kind of like bootstrap. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. We used that at TED, right? I think we used it at Ember Map. I forgot. Ah, that's right. But I've, I've used that yep, before. Yeah, we used Ember Map to make our dynamic, um, like our dynamic emails based on like which videos were newest and everything. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, these things, you can kind of imagine them like a bootstrap where they just give you a button component or button class and they compile that into a thing that looks like the button, but you, you don't have like the nice flexibility that we have today where you can just tweak every little aspect of the button. You can always find ways to override it, but it's, it's kind of feels like the same way as overriding a, a, a bootstrap class. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, back to MJML, kind of the same concept. You, you get a bunch of tags that then compile into uh, like responsive HTML. Um, so uh, I found this library, MJML React. Um, I found this blog post actually by Josh. Um, how do you say his last name? Como. Como. Com yeah. Como. And, and we'll link we'll link it in the show notes. It talks about his workflow and so how he uses MJML. One of the things he referenced was this, this library called MJML React, and it's really cool. It gives you basically all those MJML tags I talked about. It gives you the React components of those. So you can render those right in your React app. And so this is nice. really cool because I just pulled this into our next app and I started writing the email. And as you write the email and use these tags and hit save, everything that like you know and love about next just works. Like you get hot module reloading. You feel like you're working in a React app. You feel like you're working in a component. That's another that's another great thing. Like you don't you have the like the React uh, composition story. So if you have something that's really repetitive, like uh, you're doing printing a table with multiple lines, you can extract that to a table row component and just render that right. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's just everything. And passive props and everything. Exactly. Passive props. It's everything you, 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 you love about next about react. Um, so that was, that was awesome. Also just that's being great. able to author the email in your browser yeah. and see it is just is quality of life is so good versus like okay i'm gonna author this i'm gonna click the send button yep you gotta go over to gmail and then like gmail like you know how they like if you get multiple emails they're like oh we're gonna clip this part because it's all right so yep. it's like you gotta delete the email it's just oh, the man. workflow is brutal but yeah being able to render in the browser in a react app and the thing is we already have a react app so i was just able to just 
drop in these components and start rendering wow. on a brand new page. Uh, but the really cool thing about this was uh, we also have like our, our next app is hooked up to our database and it can fetch data. So I built a little um, a little page that fetches, I think it's like our last 10 purchases. And I can click on each one of those purchases and then pass it into the React component that's responsible for rendering the email. And I can see what the email would actually look like for that purchase. That's so, fantastic. So it's a great way like, oh, this person ha uh, bought Framer Motion recipes. What is the email that they get? This person bought a lifetime membership. What do they get? You know, this person, oh, this person uh, has a different price. Like they, they were a subscriber. And so we gave them a discount for a lifetime membership. Like, does it look right? And it's just, it's, you know, it's awesome. Like you're using, you're actually using dynamic data from your database and just feeding right. it in. And it's just the, the workflow is great. And it, honestly, it only took me like, I think I did this all on a Friday, wired up the email and wired up this little Fetch data and pass yeah. it in. And again, like the main benefit here is like, we already had a next right. app that had all this data fetching built into it. And so just like getting that data, threading it through to a React component, super easy. Just how you would do that's, with any React component. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I write emails from ConvertKit sometimes and it's the same thing, you know, um, that you're saying where you author it in this WYSIWYG thing and then you send it and you have to look at it in the browser. They have a preview mode, but like you don't really know what it's gonna look like, you know? Yeah. And they their preview mode is broken in ways that aren't even related to like the intricacies of HTML email, right? Um, yeah, it's already hard enough to build a web app, right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, the emails that we send, like these transactional emails that are based on the user and the purchase, they're dynamic data-driven web pages, basically. So why wouldn't you wanna use React and whatever data fetching tool that you're already using. So that's amazing. I mean, uh, Rails had some tools like this built in. I always, I remember being blown away the first time, you know, you could click on a link to reset your password and in development mode, Rails would, you just added a template because you're building an HTML page. You click on the link and it just opens a URL and renders that page. You're like, oh yeah, that is what I'm doing. I'm sending an HTML email. It's just an HTML page. Yep. And uh, and then even in tests, you know, I'm thinking about testing um, because in Rails you could write a full end-to-end -end test on the email itself. Make sure you get it. You could assert that the body looked right and it said the person's name, given the user was Sam. It says hello Sam in the email when they click the link. You could assert that their subscription was claimed or their purchase was claimed or whatever. Um, so all for all those reasons, if people have never had like a unified tool chain like this for emails, it's like there's just so many benefits fall out from that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just to kind of like where I where I am now, where I landed, and kind of wrap this up. Um, there's a few I would say like. I don't know if you'd call them modern or, or what. So there's a few of these HTML frameworks to help you write HTML email. Um, there's one React email, which which looks really cool. I want to try that. Uh, so that would be a substitute, a, a this replacement a for the MGML React. Yep, exactly. They have a nice thing where like they support, they give you the React components so you can just render them in the next app. Love that. They support Tailwind too in their email. so. Tailwind's like a little tricky because Tailwind's made for browsers and right. not all the Tailwind utilities, the CSS, 
that Tailwind exposes is going to work in an email client. But you still want to use Tailwind for things like colors and padding. The workflow. You still want the the utility first workflow. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to use like Tailwind for flex when you're designing email because right. then when you send that, it's just going to bomb. But right. but you don't. You want to be able to just say like padding top, padding bottom. Right. You want to have like the um, feel like you have like everything reset for you. So right. like that right. that sort of stuff is is great. So yeah, um, that was going to be my follow up question was like either with mgml or mgml react or this other one you're talking about do you have like type safety where it's like you're trying to set a box shadow but you can't because that doesn't work in our transformer and it's not supported by html that would be nice to know to get that feedback you know yeah they give you they the mgml react has props but i don't think i don't think it's sorry it has typescript and the props are typed but I don't mm -hmm. think it is type safe to the point of, hey, just a heads up, this won't render. So I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure like what, how good of feedback you get there. I have found that when I even when I authored the email in the browser and everything looked good, when you send mm -hmm. it to different email clients, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. things are just wildly different. Um, right. Just the way that even Gmail web app behaves differently from Gmail iPhone app. So right. there's just, you know, email's just, it's hard. Um, email for developers, man. There's a big business there. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what I think, uh, this react email, uh, is it feels they have a product called resend. They're like a YC company. company I, I right? think so. Yeah. Uh, but they, they just, it feels, yeah, it feels good. I definitely would want to try that. Uh, I think that's kind of like the next thing we'll try if we ever, yeah. When we run into limitations or whatever. There's another cool. project uh, that I looked at called um, Maisel, M-A-I-Z-Z-L-E, something like that. I think I've heard of this before, yeah. Yeah, so this was not the the, the DX workflow that I described. It, it didn't really have that where you're like, you already have a React app and you can start rendering React components. This was like its own language, its own build tool. Like you run the server on your own. You create like a new NPM app to do this. But uh, this looked really powerful in terms of you end up taking more responsibility to HTML. So I would say it's like more like you are writing your own components and less relying on like a button from Bootstrap or a button from MJML. Uh, but they had Tailwind support. And yeah, I think this was like a little too advanced for me, for my use case. Mm -hmm. And when I tried it, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this isn't, I can't just drop this into my next app. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, one of the reason I want to talk about this is it looks like they have a product called MailViews that isn't launched yet, but it is. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a bunch of pre-designed, beautiful email templates. And oh, that cool. that is exactly what I need. Like that, yeah. because, you know, it's just really hard. Like I, like I said, like I have to go test that this works in Gmail Web right. and, and Gmail iOS, and those are different. And so if I could just buy a template that and it's no longer your problem. Exactly. And also it's not, it's the sort of thing where I want our emails to look good and I want them to be impressive, but they're not core to our business. Like I don't need right. them to stand out. Like our videos right. need to stand out. We can't just right. go use some like third party video creator. Like that, that has right. to be us. That has to stand out. That has to have like right. the, the, right. the build UI right. magic, but our emails don't. And right. so, um, yeah, if, if if I, you know, it kind of reminded me of like Tailwind UI 
and and the fact that like they sell templates and they're just beautiful templates and they have like a podcast template if we were ever going to set up a website for this podcast we would use something like that like mm -hmm. i think we would just take the tailwind mm -hmm. ui podcast template and use that and so that that's what this mail views product mm -hmm. again yep. i haven't seen it it's like it's not launched yet but um that got me really excited so that's cool i mean we, we use convertkit for our broadcasts you know and they have like a simple or like a modern template that we use and it's great and it, it does all the things you're talking about and we don't really think about testing it because it's their problem and the emails look great you know those ones do um that's cool um i'd like to read the josh article the article from josh como because his emails look awesome he even has like them on like a background mm -hmm. color offset for, like with some margin from the edges so i've just always noticed that when i um because i'm on his list and so when he sends an email um they always look good even if i open them on my phone or my desktop or whatever cool so and then he has like them as a blog post too doesn't he isn't that part of his workflow like there's kind of one source of truth for yeah so he talks about both this. the emails and the and the blog posts yeah so he talks about this so his um he authors an MDX and then his MDX, he can plug into his website or into his emails. So, That's very cool. Um, but his, like, if you're looking at his, his is MGML React. So uh, oh, wow. any, anything you can do in MGL React, you know, what you see there. Anything that he's doing in his emails, we can do in yeah, MGL yeah, ML yeah, React. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I think that would probably be a really good solution for us, um, especially because we've been talking about starting up just a more regular Build Your Eye newsletter that updates bi-weekly with our videos, our YouTubes, our podcasts, and our recipes. And I would want that to be archived on the site as well. And so if there are like capabilities we would want in the website version, um, for example, replacing a link with the next link, that seems like a good workflow, right? Mm -hmm. You author it once, you have a link, and when you export it to the HTML email version, it's an anchor tag. When you export it to you know, a page in your next site, it's a next link. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we would build ours as like a, a data structure for our CMS. So, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. include this, mm -hmm. this video, this recipe. Yep. And, and then from there, if you're rendering on the web, like you said, you're using next link. If you're rendering an yep. email, you're using an MGML link. Uh, so yeah. Cool. Nice, man. That's very cool. I'm excited to see that. I saw your tweet. Um, it looks awesome for yeah. sure. The preview mode thing. That's really neat. Cool. Thanks. So good job with that. Cool, man. Um, I, this week I've been working on, let's see, I am, uh, just published like a new recipe last night on, um, the hover treatment, the spotlight treatment. And I have a YouTube video for that coming out tomorrow. So by the time folks listen to this, it will, it will be out and we'll have it in the show notes. Um, that was a fun one. Uh, it actually started with me trying to reverse engineer the Engadget, uh, no, and Evervault, Evervault website. <laughs> so the Evervault customers page um, has some cards on it, and it, they they do fan, they look fantastic. They just has this really cool treatment. Um, a guy Nev, I'll, I'll I'll put his name, his full Twitter handle in the links. But um, this is front end developer Nev on, on Twitter who did the who pulled off the treatment. And it's, you know, Evervault is like a cryptography or cryptographically secure thing. So a lot of the the themes and the motifs and the design is like 
uh, random hex strings, you know, throughout the, 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 pa the web pages. And so on the customer's page, when you hover a customer, you get all this random um, string of these characters and they move when you move it. So that was like the first thing I wanted to do. But then the main part of the effect is this, the gradient that moves, that follows the cursor, kind of like a spotlight. And you've probably seen it before. They do it in one of the Tailwind UI templates, um, like the API docs one. They do it on Linear's um, website. So I thought that would be a fun one to make. And I learned a lot. Originally, again, I wanted to do that uh, full Evervault demo, but turns out it's kind of composed of many recipes. Um, you know, I was thinking like we have this new recipes page for anyone listening who hasn't seen it yet. Check out buildrycom slash recipes. There's like a bunch of, uh, of our demos and our, our code snippets there, and you can just grab the code and, and paste it into your apps. And I was thinking like, I wonder if eventually we'll get to a point where like recipe is a cool name because it's kind of like captures everything, but really it's almost like there's like techniques and then there's recipes or there's there's like a taxonomy here where if you looked at the evervault demo you would want to see i would want to see like this uses hover right this uses like spotlight and it uses like gradient masking because that those were the two big parts of the evervault demo that i eventually you know we decided like it was too much for one thing let's scope it down and just do the spotlight part um and then like maybe even like the re-rendering updating the string of text on mouse move, although that one is a little bit easier. Um, so anyways, that was just a thought I had, but uh, it's cool because, you know, similar to like the animated tabs where like there's part of the one technique used to build it is frame or motion layout animations. But then another is if it's a tabs component, you want it to be accessible, keyboard navigable, focus states, that's maybe comes from React Aria components. So you could have something that's like, okay, I just want to learn just this one part of it. And it's like just a smaller piece and they kind of build up into the bigger, bigger examples. But um, yeah, I learned a ton. The, the, the radial gradient, I got to play with that a bunch, which I haven't used, you know, CSS, CSS is like um, syntax is really tricky because when you make a radial gradient, you can do like radio great. It's basically a multiple arity function. All CSS functions, all, at least all, like most of them, are multiple arity. And I never like, I've just come to not like multiple arity um, API uh, function signatures. I remember when I was working on Mirage back in the day, I was like obsessed with them. And I thought it was so cool, right? You can do like, you know, db.find1. And then like, you can do db.find1, comma, open bracket, where, and it's like, you're using the same thing. So it feels like, you know, we've talked about like the progressive, progressive disclosure of complexity before. And it feels like that principle applied to API design where you get like one method that's like overloaded and it does everything. But the first time you use it, you just call dot find one. And then you can optionally pass in like a where clause, or you can pass like an array of model names to join with or include or whatever. And these days, especially with TypeScript, maybe TypeScript has been part of the reason I've changed. It it makes it way harder to discover the the um, what capabilities this API has when you're dealing with this multiple arity function. And even if you know what a capability is, it actually makes it harder to actually use it um, because, like, I know I can set the the size of this radial gradient, but is it the does it come first? Uh, before like the shape or after I know I can set the position 
do I do circle and then comma and then X and Y? No, I do circle at circle space at space X space Y position. So like to me, that is such a bummer. You know, the, the problem here is that you're you're making your API like expandable, but you own the only thing you have is like index position to do this with. Yeah. And so yep. that's, you know, if like the language supported just uh, like key value params, like Ruby yeah. has this, maybe it's yeah. a little easier, but yeah. Right. Um, anyway. You know, framework motion, like you do a transition and the transition option to framework motion uh, animations is like, there's a lot going on there and you can even do it like on individual properties, but I never have a hard time because I just open the brackets, hit control space and I oh, ease is called ease. It's called duration, bounce, it whatever. It doesn't matter if it's first and, or last. Yeah. 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 Yep exactly so that's always just like i'm just always struck by how much of like a barrier that is to like learning about it you know um these like css techniques and tricks maybe that's why right css tricks it's all css always felt like that it's like oh what's the trick oh you just add a space with like a transparent word after it and all of a sudden it looks great um it's like programming in a in like a non-programming language anyway so it was fun to play around with that, learn about that, and see how much you can do with that. And a lot of these techniques that you see, these kind of hover effects that are pretty popular now, use radial gradients, and they also use mask, mask images, so masking. So um, the way the Evervault demo, and I'll put a link to that page as well, pulls it off, is when you move your mouse cursor, it actually looks like it's stretching an ellipse that has like a gradient and like some transparency over it. And so when I first looked at it, when you put your mouse cursor over the middle, it's like a perfect circle. The colors are a perfect circle. They're like nice and faded, but it's a circle. And then as you move it towards the edge, the circle kind of like stretches out. It becomes an ellipse. And so when I first saw this, I thought the implementation was going to look something like, okay, calculate the distance of the mouse cursor from the center of the card, and then use that distance as like the diameter on the ellipse and then give it like a width of the half of the box. And so since that diameter changes, it should like stretch a circle. So I was thinking in my head, like, you know, Pythagorean's theorem, like you'll use that, you'll calculate the distance or whatever, you'll get the center, you'll get the Y position of the cur cursor, Y two minus Y one over X two minus X one, boom, you get the distance. And then you apply some factor to that, use that to apply some factor to, to the ellipses shape. And um, turns out it was like way, way easier. So once I spent, a good deal of time with this demo you realize there's two layers and one is actually a fixed gradient that is always there so you can turn off the mask and you'll see each one of these cards has this nice gradient with like different colors on the outside and then they kind of come to like this lighter color in the middle and then what you do is you have a mask that's like a feathered circle that follows the cursor and the mask is revealing the gradient as you move it around. And this uses the mask image CSS property. And so it's like we were talking about last week, the blending mode stuff where you get new stuff based on two layers sitting on top of each other. It's the same idea, but the effect it has is to make it look like the circle is kind of squishing and, and shifting shape. Um, how I'm having a hard time visual. How does that make it feel like, how does it make it feel like the circle stretches? It's, because of the fact that the way the colors bleed into each other from the background gradient um and like as you move the mouse 
you're seeing like a different slice of it. Interesting. I, 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 I still don't fully understand. Maybe it's just a trick of the, of the way the colors are like layered. Um, that was gonna be my but it literally looks like it literally looks like a spotlight that's like, you know, if you were to take a spotlight and shine it on a table mm -hmm. and then rotate your hand and the light would grow taller yep. as you moved it. That's what it that's the effect it gives. Um, cool. But I think it might just be a trick of the eye, like because of how they have done the colors and where the darker parts are, the d darker color stops and the light ones are. I'm not really sure, but it's really cool. And it turns out that it's just, it's really simple. Like I actually have it working and it just was like way simpler than I thought. I thought there was going to be mask, math involved, transforms, distorting of a, a ellipse or something. And it's just two gradients, one that follows the mouse and one that is static. Cool. So, um, yeah, pretty wild. I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to do some more decomposition and just look at both layers at the same time to understand it, but it's, it's pretty neat. Okay, that was gonna be my next question. Like when you described, so there's like this colored image underneath that's masked by the cursor. But if you turn the mask off, does the image just change colors, or does it change like colors and opacity? What's like the what the, is like the background? The, Im the static image is just a, is is itself a gradient. It's itself just a static gradient, and it doesn't change based on the mouse move. So it's just right, right. That the spotlight on yeah. That image though, what it like, what is it? Does it go from like red to blue? It, or does it go from like opacity? It has like a cir a dark circle, like a light circle. Then it gets immediately dark, and then it has like some purple and like a bright red on the outside or bright pink. Cool. Um, so it's just like their brand colors, you know, but in like a nice kind of smoothly fading way or whatever. Nice. Okay. Cool. And, and yeah, and, and the implementation on the Tailwind UI template also is similar in that you move the mouse around and you see different colors. It doesn't have the same like circle distorting effect, but you see different colors. And I thought the same thing. Oh, there's some, the color is a function of the mouse position. Turns out, no, it's just a nice gradient that is revealed with a mask image that follows the cursor. So that's why I wanted to make the spotlight this week because the spotlight is kind of like the basis for pulling off any of those other effects. Once you know how to do spotlight and in general know how to get something that follows the mouse cursor, then you can have a lot of fun with it and take it in other creative directions. So, um, that was pretty neat. And, you know, of course use frame or motion just because, I mean, uh, it, it's like if you're moving the mouse a little bit and you put console.log render, you're going to be firing off all these renders. You could use set state to do this and just have an on mouse move callback. But um, frame motion, motion values are perfect for this. You know, it kind of made me realize, because in my YouTube video, I basically use state first, and then I show the re-renders. And then I say, this is like something that is, I say, usually you do not want to think about re-renders in React. This is part of the programming models. It should not be your concern. You should not have anyone on your sh little devil on your shoulder saying, oh, your components re-rendering too much because we've seen so many people do that and it's totally premature optimization. And in fact, the, the point of React is to not think about that. Um, it's like- You make your code worse it's, by over-optimizing it. You make your code hard to change. Not declarative anymore. Yeah. The point of React is to turn an imperative programming language into the declarative UI model. And part of that bargain Part of that agreement is that you don't think about when and how it re-renders, which is the beauty of the whole model. It's like the linchpin of the whole thing. But this is a case where 
you start moving your mouse a little bit and you're like okay do i really want like 700 react re-renders in like this little tiny compo card that's meant to compose with other parts of my page so really it's it's more like this is a this is a step difference between the kinds of things that usually update react right. um this is under the same category as things like animations that should be re-rendering like close to 60 frames a second and this is exactly what frame motion was designed to solve so do you see um, it lag? it was do you see it lag with react state because 60 frames actually, a second you, is hard yeah, to do it yeah you do if you start moving it it does feel a little laggy yeah okay, it feels cool. like it's coming behind it a little bit i think that's a great um, motivating example exactly for, we need to get this out of react state there's libraries that are made to handle this exactly and that's exactly where the direction i went in the video um so it was cool though because you get to go from it was a nice progression because you go from okay we have a event handler that calculates the new xy coordinates based on the mouse move event relative to the top left of the box then we get it into react state which lets us use that those values in our render function but then we have this slight performance thing this is really in the category of animation transition it belongs in frame motion so then swap out react state with frame or motion motion values so motion values are like this primitive from frame or motion that let you update and re-render things outside of the react render cycle but i think this might be the first time where i went like from uh like nothing to like react state to like motion values because usually i reach for motion values when i'm like how the heck can i animate a spring like i have this value i have like a clock like i made that clock the other day and or like a week a week or two ago and the hand goes like this right mm -hmm. and i wanted to give it a little bounce and so i was like Oh yeah, I'll I'll like I want to use a, like a motion value with a spring to do that, um, and so I, I I just know that to get that working like or you use like a motion div with an animate function and transition, but like this is something that Framer Motion does because I need to animate, but then like motion values are always like a means to an end, whereas this was like a new way to think about them as just another place to put state. This was purely like, for it, the state, not for the, the animation. Exactly, like the pull, uh, pulling off the thing, exactly. Like the behavior didn't change with, uh, with the exception of the performance characteristics. But it was cool because it's a lot, if someone's like, what is a motion value? And you read the docs and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, they are like these things, they're stateful that have velocity on them. You can call get and set. And then you can like pass them to motion divs and they'll like just magically do their thing. But it's really just, it's really, I think, better to introduce them as like, they're basically React State, um, but they can do crazy things that React State can't do. And Framer Motion takes care of the, the interface or the boundary to get them back into React to update your app, right? So it's almost like a store. It's like a local store or even a ref is kind of like you can think of it's kind of like react state we all know what that is that's like the primitive that's like the core thing that makes it all work you have refs which are like data bags that don't trigger re-renders but they're kind of like black boxes like sebastian described them one time as like they're just like a black a mutable box and because they're like a mutable box that just exists kind of right here that's what they're good for but they don't like participate in, the, in react data flow so like things that you need like a mutable box for that you wouldn't need like the participate in the react data flow that's what refs are for but like you're describing them um as derived in their like function from react state and i think that helps people understand what refs are because otherwise you're like 
oh, we have state and then we have this other thing called rest. But there, there's like, it's, it's easier to think about it how, it, how it differs from React state. And I think motion values, it's the same thing. I think it's easier to explain and teach them in, way, in, in the ways in which they differ from React state. And the ways that they're the same is that they contain a value, they're, they're stateful, they survive re-renders, they can be updated and read, right? All of those ways, they're the same. It doesn't matter that you set or get, it's fundamentally the same thing. The difference is that they can be updated without triggering re-renders and they interface with motion elements and other motion imports from frame or motion. So like if you wanna pull off a spring, you're like, oh yeah, React can't like, doesn't have a spring, there's no spring from React. But frame motion has a spring, but I need to update this thing when I click. So boom, that's like what you use motion value for. That's like what you would reach for it. So I thought that was interesting, you know, just as much as I've used frame motion, like to have that kind of new angle on what a motion value is from this demo. So yeah, dude, it's great. Um, it's really interesting that if you're, you're teaching all the ways to store state and react, yeah, you would start with react state and then you would introduce every other piece in terms of the trade-off that react state can't do why you would use this what you lose from doing it like the, the ref example is great i also thought of like the global stores hooks yeah yeah store a store yeah, exactly. an external store so so how so how would you just define an external store this is exactly how i do it it's like well we could put this in react state oh that means this is running every time uh the component renders it can or only be updated from react it, 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 it can only be updated from React. It only exists if this component is rendered because state is tied to a component instance. So like that's one right there is like a great way to introduce an external store. You know, mm -hmm. you have some piece of date that shouldn't be tied to any particular component or even the root component uh, being mounted or not. So like, where do you put it? Your JavaScript is running. Well, we have like an answer for that. It's called a store. It's like React state uh, because you can use it to update your UI, but it lives outside of any yeah. component. Yeah, exactly. So. Really Maybe there's a cool little video there of like, you know, uh, all the kinds of state in like all kinds of UI state. And then you just start from and you end up with like kind of a tree, a tree. You know? Yeah. I want to do this, but I don't want this. I want to yep. participate in yep. this, but I don't want to yep. participate in this. And there's always an answer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Super there's always an answer. Exactly. And, and it would also be a good uh, thing to know to have those heuristics so that you don't reach for something like a ref when you don't need to, because we see people do that too, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, I'm going to put this in a ref because, you know, whatever. Um, I don't need to read it during render or, or like, I don't, I don't, what's that example that we always run into? It's like, it's way easier if you just put it in state. It's like, oh, but I don't really need, like, do I want to, yeah, just make a new state. Cause like react state should be the default for everything. And the only reason that's how I think about react. And the only reason you don't use react state is, is because there is a constraint that it doesn't align with. You either need something that React State doesn't do, or you don't need something that React State does yeah. do, right? You either need something that doesn't do, I need a spring, I need it to exist apart from this React component, or you don't need something that does do, like um, participating in like every render or whatever, right? Updating updates, updates should trigger up, up, re Updates, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so. and this, this is really good too, because it just makes the decision model easy. I'm building a checkbox and I just wanna store is checked somewhere like your first answer should be okay i'm going to use state and then you start exactly. doing that decision tree in your head but for 95 percent of the time it's going exactly. to be use state don't need any anything exactly. to fall out from under that and you just pick exactly state. and it's the same for a checkbox as it is for 
you know, how many seconds since you've been in the page or, you know, what the current count of the button is. You shouldn't be like, oh, in input is like an HTML thing. And so, you know, we could let's, I don't really need it. I'll just let the DOM take care of the state and put it in a ref and read it when I submit the form. Like any kind of thing like that. Again, going back to the mental model of what makes React productive and useful and like the right way to use React, how it was designed to use is like, this is like, yeah, the mm -hmm. core stuff. So cool. Cool. That was interesting. That was good. Um, I definitely think there's like a video in there somewhere. Nice. <laughs> that was where my mind goes. Cool. cool. I think, um, yeah, I think that does it. I think that's good for this, uh, this episode. And, um, what do we got coming up? Uh, we have, we're going to get your react. So when are we going to get your, by the time this, this podcast is up, your react server components demo should be on build UI. Yeah. Vi video one of video the one react server component series. We're building like a, a user table filter, uh, fully database driven from Prisma. We query Prisma right from React components, no APIs, no effects, <laughs> no data fetching, right to the database. And because it's a server component, we don't have the problem we discussed last week, which is it's not, cro it's not blurring the lines between server and client code. Yeah. I got to that point in Rich's talk, by the way, and it was really interesting. Um, cool, I think so. I think so, like there's a lot that's happening right now with like the mutation side of server components. I think my video series will be done before that stuff lands, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So it'll be interesting. My, my demo doesn't really have a great, uh, mutation story in it. I don't think it right. matters. I don't think it matters right. for teaching server components, but right. or, or the introduction to server components, I should say, but, right. um, yeah, it'll be interesting where this stuff lands. Yep, definitely. Cool. And we'll make that video free for a week when we post it so everyone can check it out. Yeah. Actually, that one will probably be free forever because it's going to be the first, yep, the it, first video. First one in the but series. Yeah, yep. definitely. Mm -hmm. I think all our videos should be free for a week. Yep. For sure. Right on. Cool. All right, man. Well, we got some more work to do here and um, let's get to it. All right. We'll see ya. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.